0: Hi, this is your host, uh, former Senator Heidi Heitkamp from North Dakota. Joining me for the first time is a new co-host. You might recognize the name. It would be my brother, Joel Heitkamp, who is active in rural issues for a long, long time. First uh, as a rural water manager and a state senator, and now as somebody who talks to Joel, what is it, about 100,000 people every day on the radio and collects opinions and listens to what people are thinking about in rural America.
1: Welcome, Joel. Yeah, and thanks for letting me join you. I have to tell you, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, and so appreciate it. And for those of you, she introduced me as her brother. That's a good thing because most people think I'm her nephew. So,
0: Oh, for goodness sakes. And and, and this is what I put up with on a regular basis. But we're going to have a great discussion with somebody that Joel and I know very well, um, and that is, uh, former Congressman Colin Peterson, who is a legend in Washington, D.C., as it comes to rural advocacy and certainly as it comes to understanding the Farm Bill. I am so excited and thank you so much, Colin. I know you're a busy guy. You aren't the kind of guy who likes to always sit down and have a conversation like this, but I think your voice is so critical. Can you tell me, I first off, all important question, do you think it is possible? For the House of Representatives Ag Committee to get a bill out of committee. And even if they get a farm bill out of committee, do you think it's possible to pass a farm bill before this current bill expires?
2: Well, anything is possible if you put your mind to it. And, uh, you know, the good thing is that the people that are in charge are all saying the right things. They're all saying the same thing. That we're going to get this bill done. and That's on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the Capitol. And so they're all, you know, determined to get this done. I would say being able to get it done in 2018 can show you that you can get it done anytime because that was a, a real challenge of that that bill. But the problem is going to be two two problems. Are they going to get extra money for the farm bill? And uh, all of the commodity groups and all these other folks are looking for more money. They've got ideas about how to spend it and so forth. So the budget committee, at least uh, Harrington in the House, is asking for more money. So I think w- one of the issues is, are they going to get more money? If they get more money, it'll make it easier to get this done.
0: Yeah. Colin, there, there a lot of people listening wouldn't understand what you mean by get more money. <laughs> and I think that's a critical component. If you could just kind of tell us how this whole argument about the debt limit and the budget targets affect the Farm Bill.
2: Well, the Farm Bill is what's called mandatory spending. This is spending that's not required. To, uh, the appropriators do not have to appropriate the money. It's it's driven by a formula. So the parts that are in the farm bill are not appropriated. They're driven by a formula like uh, crop insurance, food stamps, Title I, so forth and so on. So there's a baseline that's established. The CBO just came out with it last week that says that this is how much money is going to be spent in the next 10 years based on the language that's currently in the law. And that language is what drives the spending. Okay. So there's so the money they have is they can continue the bill, you know, so they could extend the law for another 10 years or five years. And they'd have the money to do that, but they wouldn't be able to change anything. Or if they did change something, they, they'd have to cut spending to pay for it, or they'd have to raise taxes to pay for it. So the the problem is... You got a lot of folks out there that want more money in the farm bill to be spent. So they want to they want to raise the reference prices. They want to do some stuff in crop insurance. They want, even though conservation got twenty billion dollars new money uh, in the IRA, they want more money for for conservation. The food stamps, the uh, yesterday the whatever they call it uh, that that kept the food stamps going during the pandemic that ran out. So you're going to have people uh, in SNAP that want more money for SNAP. So, they can't spend any more money on the Farm Bill unless they get someplace to get the money from. Uh, either cut the spending or raise taxes. And uh, you can cut spending within the Farm Bill, but it'd set off a war. So, for example, you could take money out of conservation. They just got $20 billion of extra money. You could take some of that money and put it into Title I. And there's some Republicans talking about doing that. But if you did that, you would alienate all the conservation people. You could take. SNAP money and move that into Title I, that would alienate the SNAP people. So the money thing is a big deal, but people are probably not paying a whole lot of attention to that.
0: Well, and, and if I can interject, it's not even about where we are right now with the targets, the existing farm bill and moving money around or, or trying to kind of figure out how do you spend money that is already allocated and, and increase money. What we're being told in this whole discussion about the debt limit, and we know that we're not going to raise the debt limit unless we cut certain levels of spending. Well, that's got to include the farm bill, right? That's got to include all of these programs. If, in fact, they cut a deal on on uh, budget reductions on discretionary or on these programs, what does that mean in terms of not just not getting the enhancements that people are asking for in terms of spending? but absolutely, fighting over who's going to take the cut.
2: Well, I think that's premature. I mean, uh, the last time we went through this in 2011, we ended up uh, with sequestration, and that actually cut the farm bill because we couldn't get a a deal at that point. I think, in a way, the fight over the debt ceiling might actually help the farm bill.
0: That that is not what I was thinking, so now you need to explain this to me.
2: Well, because the fight over food stamps might end up in the debt ceiling, and not in the farm bill. And if that's the case, it would make it easier to pass a farm bill if you've already had that fight over work requirements and all that other stuff, which some of the Republicans are trying to trying to do. Now, that'll probably make it almost certain they won't be able to raise the debt ceiling. And that's a whole other issue.
0: But I think the point that I was trying to make, Colin, is that this debate about overall targets and spending that is now part of the uh, debt limit, you know, raising the debt limit, that is, for positive or negative, it is part of the discussion that goes on in Washington that will affect the farm bill.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But I would say that I, so the number one problem is SNAP and the nutrition stuff. You've got a lot of Republicans talking about that they're going to uh, cut that program, which they've done the last two times. And that's the biggest danger to getting a farm bill done. I agree. Because if they if they cut $1 out of nutrition, the House Democrats will oppose it. And that's, you know, some of the Senate Democrats will as well. So that's the biggest danger is, is getting on this kick to, to cut nutrition. And they've already cut it substantially because they've ended these extra benefits that they put in place because of the pandemic. So that's going to be the hurdle. The biggest hurdle to get by is that.
0: Joel, what are you hearing? Is there optimism out there that the Farm Bill can pass? Is there pessimism? What are what are the people you talk to every day, Sam?
1: Well, I think a lot of the farmers out there that I talk to just take it for granted that it's always going to be there. And I think that that's one of the things in talking to Colin and you that I think is the most dangerous for them. If you talk to the executives at Sugar and if you talk to people that run the Barley Council and all of them, they get it. They understand it. Uh, Farm Bureau, Farm Union. But if you just talk to a farmer, you stop in Morton and have a beer with the boys, they just assume it's going to get fixed again or it's not going to be a problem in large part because it always of has. the two individuals I get to visit with here because of Colin and, and Heidi and people that were elected like that. So, Heidi, let me, I just want to inject one little thing in this, okay? Now, I'm talking to you two, and you two were very good public servants. You understood it. People just heard that. But both of you got beat. And, you know, so my question is, why do I care what farmers think about it for a while? Shouldn't they feel a little bit of pain before they start uh, realizing who they should elect? Now, I, s- I realize that sounds pretty political, but that's talk show host that said that. So either one of you can answer me, but uh, I think they take you for granted, is my point.
2: Well, I don't think there's any question, but that's, that's gone on for a long time. That's not just a new phenomenon. <laughs> I think President Trump's administration exacerbated the problem, and that's why I didn't win was because I was always able to bring people together, you know, enough enough Republicans to get elected in that Republican district, but Trump polarized everybody so much, there was nothing I could do about it, and he did that all over the country, and so one of the biggest problems is, you know, in agriculture is that there's no Democrats left in farm districts. That is a huge problem. And so the only way you can get this bill passed is if you make the urban people happy and that means conservation and it means nutrition. And that's the stuff that some Republicans hate, you know, so that's, that's the tension, you know, and how they get past that is probably the biggest challenge they have. Yeah.
0: And, and I think it's important, Colin, to point out that not all Republicans like the farm bill. Oh
2: no, that's yeah. For
0: years, you know, that the farm bill was always supported by Democrats and the Republicans. I mean, George Bush vetoed it, what, three times before?
2: Twice, twice.
0: Twice before you actually got a farm bill done. And so you still have some of those budget-conscious hardliners saying the farm bill is bloated and it's not just, they are not just looking at nutrition. You you look at the Republican Study Committee, I think is what it's called. They've called for cuts and they've got, what, over 100 members. And so... You know, it's important to point out that Republicans alone probably can't get a farm bill done. They need to form those coalitions. And Joel, you ask, I was there for six years. I did two farm bills and I'm very proud of the work that we did. But let me tell you, you know, anytime I got stuck on an issue, anytime I couldn't figure out how the balance should work, I made one phone call and that was to Colin Peterson. Because as I've said repeatedly, Colin has forgotten more about the farm bill than most people know. And so the, the the point that I'm making here is that this Farm Bill will be particularly difficult because you don't have that bridge between uh, uh, somebody, not just whose politics uh, were important, well, where the Farm Bill was important to his politics, but where he knew the substance. This is an incredibly complicated series of programs that have been tied together. The compromises have been made over a long period of time. And if you don't know, if if you say, I'm just going to go and pull that string and don't know what it's all connected to, it comes down like a house of cards. And I think I don't know that there are people, especially on the Democratic side, who understand what happens when you pull those strings. And, you know, Colin, you know, they're going to miss you. They're going to miss your insight and your understanding of these programs. But they're also going to miss the historic ties that have been, you know, kind of put together to make this work as a big compromise piece of
2: legislation. I I'm not going, you know, I'm still engaged. I've got people calling me every day asking me questions about what's going on right now, both Republicans and Democrats. So I'm going to be involved. I won't be the same as as when I was there. But, uh, you know, I've set up this Midwest Council on Agriculture where we're taking, we're coming together with a position on the Farm Bill. Uh, We're going to be involved in it. And, And part of the reason that I did that, because I didn't need the work, you know, is to try to be helpful to get to try to get this thing worked out and people say to me joel like you just brought up what the heck are you doing this for you know they voted you out Uh, why you why don't you just go sit out at the lake and and uh take it easy you know well i feel a responsibility whether people understand what they're doing or not you know i had a i had a farmer that was convinced by one of the uh, one of the state representatives that if he voted for my opponent that she would become the chairman of the agriculture committee. And he believed it, you know, (laughs) and that's the kind of stuff you're up against. I mean, it's like, people don't understand, you know, government, you know, and uh, we're not teaching enough in in school. I mean, we've got a lot of good people, teachers out there like Paul Marquardt and so forth, but, but people are not learning about government. You, You wouldn't be having what's going on here with all this nonsense about elections, if people understood how this worked. So anyway.
0: Well, and I do want to point out, and I think it's fair to say, not only is she not here, but she's not on the committee, took herself off the committee. But, you know, that's that's for another discussion. But Well, maybe that I tells wanna...
1: you,
2: maybe she's, maybe she's uh pressure, maybe she's seeing the problem and she's going to get the heck out of there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but that, you know, there's going to be, okay. I think that when you look at kind of where politically the FAR bill is right now, it's so much more important. For Republicans to deliver a farm bill. That's their constituency. They've really built some uh, solid majorities in many of these districts, many of the states like mine, but it's been dependent on delivering for rural America. And so there's a lot of political risk for Republicans not to deliver a farm bill. But I I wanted to spend some time, Colin, talking about uh, what you're hearing about the various titles and we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who kind of haven't breathed the the farm bill the same way you have so get yeah, let's talk a little bit about the commodities title and what you're hearing from producers what enhancements they want what they want to change i think that's i i think that's uh, behind far, crop insurance you know obviously the one that most of the farmers that i know spend the most time worrying and thinking about
2: that's title 1 of the uh, farm bill and uh, that has become less and less important because these reference prices, target prices, have not been updated for a long time. And so uh, I tried to do it in 07. I tried to raise the reference prices, and there was no interest at that time in doing it. So you've got, um, you know, the, the reference. Colleen, can you
0: just explain what raising the reference <laughs> prices would do?
2: Yeah, it's, I know too much about this. The reference price is what drives the PLC and ARC program, which pays farmers when prices go below a certain level. Then they get a payment based on whatever program they're in, and it's based off of the reference price. So, for example, the reference price uh, uh, for soybeans is eight dollars and fifty cents. So, I mean, you can tell what you know. That's a loss. I mean, that that reference price is not a safety net. So it's way below the cost of production. I think corn is $3 and something uh, reference price. Wheat is 4 something. And so these reference prices are not effective given the pricing that we have currently in the marketplace. So there's some, some folks out there that want to put money into the, into the reference prices to try to have a better safety net. I don't think there's enough money to raise the, safe, raise the reference prices enough to make any difference given the climate that we're in. I think the money, if there is money to be put into the safety net, it should be put into crop insurance. That is, without a doubt, the most important part of the farm bill. And there's some things that need to be improved in there, especially in livestock, uh, some of the other specialty crops. And, and, I, and I think that's that would be a better use of that money than putting it in reference prices. But some of these groups uh, are coming in. I think they're coming in asking for that. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. And, you know, we can go through the other titles too, if you want to, and talk about the...
0: But let's kind of transition from there. Like, that's a big part of the safety net. Reference prices haven't been adequate to cover cost of production. They aren't. They aren't really what you would call a safety net. And you, like so many folks... Go right to the provisions of the um, crop insurance program. So when you look at crop insurance, it was kind of this this morphing from direct payments into kind of a a system whereby when things are good, you know, you're going to get money, or you're not going to get money. When things are bad, you you are going to get money. But, you know, it seems like everybody always gets money anyway, Colin. So, you know, explain, explain this the way you would explain it to somebody sitting in an apartment <laughs> in Manhattan.
2: I'm not sure you can explain it. Well, you can't really talk about what's happened the last few years because that was an aberration. You know, we spent $100 billion, you know, under the Trump administration. Uh, that's never going to be done again. So I think we should take that out of the equation. But the crop insurance has got, still got some problems. And it hasn't, it's not, it's a lot better than it was. Uh, it was for a long time. It was just corn and soybeans and wheat and and the major crops. And now we've added a lot of crops to it. We have always already, uh, we started having programs for livestock, you know, that need to be improved. And so I if I had extra money, what I would do is I'd go in there and start improving those crop insurance things in, in the areas where they're not adequate. And that's not that expensive. So, you know, I think they are going to have to look at places where they don't doesn't cost them a lot of money to get bang for the buck. And so, uh, again, I think uh, the, 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 first, the first place to is look is, is crop insurance. And then crop insurance also has some other issues that are out there. I probably shouldn't say this in Nor- with North Dakota, but um, this prevented planting is still a problem. And uh, we've made some improvements, but uh, there, is, there are problems out there going on in prevented planting. And I think Congress is probably going to take a look at that.
0: I think what's going to happen is you probably will get a GAO report or you're going to get some kind of official government report that discloses, um, you know, kind of repeated uses of uh, prevent plant. And then all of a sudden people are going to, I mean, we've had this before,
2: right? That information is out there, Heidi. Yeah. But nobody has really picked up on it yet. But I I think think the leaders on the committee are going to have to deal with this. I'm getting complaints all the time from farmers about folks that are they think are farming too too much ground and they're not able to go and take care of the ground that they've got, so they end up using preventive planting because they didn't plant at the right time or when there was a window they couldn't get to it, whatever. I mean, so those are those are issues that are very valid and are going to have to be addressed.
0: And Joel, you know and I know, you know, a farmer drives by, he got his crop in, the guy next door doesn't and, yep. and you know, in the field next to him and they wonder... Well, what 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 what's the deal there?
1: Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, there was a time when you sat there and you talked about, okay, uh, how many acres should you farm? Is this a big farm? Is that a big farm? Those definitions aren't there anymore. I mean, uh, in my day growing up, if you had a 5,000-acre farm, you were huge. Uh, you were absolutely huge. If you don't got 5,000 acres now, you're in trouble in many of these guys' case, especially with what they're paying for cash rent then you add in the fact, and I think Colin knows this and you know this, Heidi, that they don't have the workers. They can't find the guys. I mean, every 70-year-old man that's retired from farming is driving a a semi bringing corn out of the field. Everyone. My buddy who just got out of Holland Field, it took him about two seconds before a farmer talked him into it, and he didn't want to do it. So it's a different time out there. Cash rent is never going down. The people that their mom and dad had that land. They don't live here anymore. They live somewhere else. And so they could care less if the neighbor's mad that they're paying 180 bucks uh, an acre for cash rent. If they can get 250 from somebody else and it isn't their relative, tough. They're getting the 250 I mean, that's today's farming. Uh, when they sell land, they go to an auctioneer now. Instead of calling the neighbor and saying, hey, I think I'm going to sell that quarter, you've been my neighbor for years. Those days are over. And, and so, you know, Congressman, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, these, these guys, they're not giving in. No,
2: and, you know, now they're starting to auction rent. Yeah. That's the latest thing. So Now they're auctioning off the rental land out there, which used to be
1: pretty stable. Now they're putting that up for auction. But can I ask this, you guys? I mean, so we talk about that. We talk about the new farm economy and how it's going to work. But you got soybeans at 14 bucks and they're getting 60 uh, bushel soybeans on a dry year. And if I'm the person with that land, I have no sympathy for them. If I raise the cash rent. No, I don't. Uh, None.
2: Uh, No, I get it, but that's going to come over to roost. We're not going to have $14 soybeans forever. And that's why I think the best place we can put the safety net right now is in crop insurance. So at least, you know, when you have a failure, you're not going to go completely under. But um, I think, I don't know how people justify paying what they're paying for this land or this rent. It does not make any sense.
0: And look who the competition is. I raised this uh, at the last hearing. I think Sonny Purdue was at the Senate hearing that I had with uh, Secretary Purdue, And I said, who's farming the land out there? Who owns the land that's being farmed? And, you know, but when Joel and I were growing up and you, Colin, grandpa and grandma phased out of farming, the kids took over the farm, maybe uh, the boy, you know, one of the sons moved off and taught in town. And, you know, you had somebody else who may move have moved to the city and become an accountant and all that land kind of was stayed in the family. But maybe when they, when grandpa and grandma died, everybody divided it equally. And then the brothers just rented it to the brothers. Right. So, We're out of that now. We're in the second generation, right? And the second generation has never lived on the farm. They've never, you know, kind of connected to that family heritage, to that family legacy of farming that land. And now they're saying, look, I want to maximize the return on investment. We're going to keep this. And so now that farmland is owned by 20 people instead of four people, right? The next generation. And everybody has an opinion, and the opinion mainly is maximizing revenue. And so, eventually, the challenge that we're going to have is the further that ownership of that land goes from people who, who actually had the experience on the farm, the tougher it is for these prices to come down, the tougher it is to manage the farming situation. And eventually, what's going to happen is somebody with a lot of money, and in North Dakota, that appears to be Bill Gates. Is going to come in and buy a farmland because God's not making any more of that, right? So these land ownership challenges are going to be a generational problem, and if they're a problem today, yeah. it's going to be worse in twenty years.
1: Absolutely, I've got one I want to throw at you guys. So, and you got to remember, folks out there listening, I'm the talk show host, so it's my job to create trouble. Uh, <laughs> but but put yourself in the the shoes of Akeem Jeffries, right? You're sitting there. And you can't get Colin Peterson and Heidi Heitkamp where you need to be, which is sitting next to you after, after all of that. So let me ask you just from a political, the door is shut take. Okay. The only way, if if you're sitting there debating this, you have to throw into the debate that farmers aren't going to start voting Democrat again in, in the middle of this country until they feel some pain. That if we keep solving their problems, They're going to go back to gays, guns, and God. I mean, that's where these people are at out there. They know that with what Colin Peterson and Heidi Heitkamp have done, they don't get anything to worry about. Nothing to worry about in their mind. And so, you know, if you're Hakeem Jeffries and you're the minority leader, you're like, look, as long as they're happy, they're going to keep voting Republican. And we're going to continue to not have Democrats elected in the middle of this country. And, I'm just curious what you guys think about that. Heidi, you want you want me to take that? Ah, you, you go ahead. <laughs> well,
2: you know, it's definitely a problem. The role that I played the last 10, 15 years with Nancy Pelosi was to get her to understand how important farmers and farming was to the economy in, in our in our districts. And now that, that now that there's only Republicans there, you're right. There's not going to be the same kind of political will to fix it if it, if it becomes a problem. But, you know, I mean, I, one thing about Democrats is that we care too damn much, much about stuff, you know, and so whether whether it makes any sense or not, we're going to try to do the right thing, and we're going to fix it, you know what I mean? And that's, that's what we're going to do. And there's still people like that out in D.C. On the, in the Democratic Party. There's not very many of them. But there are still some people like that. And, uh, Hakeem, you know, I've been kind of talking to him through surrogates and, uh, it's hard to say how it's going to play out. But if I can tell you this, Jim McGovern is now the third, I think or third or fourth ranking member on the A Committee. He's from Boston, basically Massachusetts, He's got no farmland. You know, he's a good guy. He doesn't care about anything in the farm bill except nutrition. That's his thing. That's all he cares about. And I kept him happy. That was my job. If I got Jim McGovern happy with whatever I was doing, then I got a lot of votes from ur- urban people because they follow him. Okay? So I don't know if there's anybody, of, anybody now trying to keep Jim, Jim McGovern happy. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a problem. You know, so that's why I say this: the food stamp, snap stuff is the most important thing that they've got to try to figure out how to deal with.
0: I'm going to ask kind of one final question here to both of you and we'll start with you, Joel. If you had to look up and say, what is rural America going to look like in 20 years without any changes in policy? What do you see?
1: Bigger in terms of farmers. uh, There's no question. And I'm not sure anybody can stop that. I think that you're going to see more corporate farming. You mentioned Bill Gates earlier, North Dakota was one of the last bastions of holding out when it comes to corporate farming. There's a bill going through the state legislature that opens it up uh, somewhat when it comes to livestock. And and so, you know, we're kind of on this island, but, you know, I, I think the renewables are, are locked in now. I think they're going to have a rate. But uh, for me, I think there's going to be a lot more distance between the mailboxes. That That's what I believe.
0: And what does that mean for rural communities? What does that mean for the political clout of rural America, Joel? Well,
1: it, it, it means less people going to that church, right? I mean, less people going to that small Class B school. What it means is that Fargo, which a lot of people listening to this are going to say, well, okay, uh, that isn't that big of a town, but, but Fargo's is 150,000 people now. And when the congressman first got in, he represented Moorhead, which meant he represented Fargo. And when you first got in, Heidi, this wasn't that long ago. It was about 110,000 people. And so everybody's moving to these places, and they're not living on the farm anymore. Then you add in the fact that Joel Heitkamp had two kids. Heidi Heitkamp had two kids, and mom and dad had seven. And we were the small family in the Catholic Church. So people are having less kids. There's less people want to live out in the country. Their idea of living out in the country is living uh, 15 minutes from town where they can maybe have a goat. I mean, the, the the truth of the matter is there's going to be less farms. And the farms that are there are going to be more corporate by structure and they're going to be bigger. They're going to be, the, the average farm is going to be way, way bigger.
0: So your opinion is it's inevitable.
1: That's their biggest problem.
0: So Colin... I'm going to ask you the same thing. You've been at this a long time. You have been, you know, kind of the the one thing that you've always been able to do is see the train at the end of the tunnel and think about what you're going to do to avoid it. What do you see is the future of rural America? Is it inevitable? And how if, if it's not, what do we need to do to change course?
2: Joel is right. You know, these farms are going to get bigger. I would kind of disagree with this whole discussion about corporate farms uh, because most farmers nowadays are corporations. These are family corporations. They're not, they're not like Bill Gates, you know? So you've got people that have a 5,000 acre farm, 10,000 acre farm. It's in the family. It's a farm. It's a sub S or an LLC. And the, and it's owned by the family, you know? And so you talk about corporate farming, can't go after those kind of people because you're going to screw up the whole system. So I, I we have a problem with pe- people understanding what's really going on out there in the countryside. You know, it's not like there's like they're saying well the corporations are taking over everything. Well, I was incorporating my clients 40 years ago uh
1: in corporations, you know, on the farm. So yeah, but, but congressman your clients weren't uh, Cargill. Well,
2: no, I'm, I mean Cargill is not farming that much land.
1: No, but my point is that could open up. That's my point. I don't think, I don't think Cargill wants anything to do with well, that. Well, I just use Cargill as an example. <laughs> I mean, pick one. You know, the,
2: Well, okay. I tell you what the danger is, you know, if you like, the extreme, and people are going to think I'm nuts, but the reason that you can have these families to have 5,000 acres, 10,000 acres is because they have crop insurance. If they didn't have crop insurance, the banker would not finance that operation. And if you have that size of a farm, you're going to have to borrow $500,000, a million dollars to put that crop in. So what crop insurance does, it allows those people to be able to finance their operation. If you didn't have crop insurance, just think about it. So if you got rid of crop insurance, what would happen? The people that have deep pockets would farm. And then you would have what you're talking about. Then you'd have the people that have enough cash that they don't have to have insurance. They can finance their own situation. Then that's the biggest danger, in my opinion you know now there's some talk about trying to uh, limit the uh, size of the crop insurance and so forth but if you get into that debate what happens is uh, the crop insurance statute says it has to be actuarially sound yeah and you take the big guys out and the system doesn't work you know right. so at the end of the day you have to try to balance all this stuff out we have we're so blessed in this country to have the efficiency that we have in agriculture and because of it, we have low-cost food, you know, that's the, end of the envy of the whole world, you know, and we don't want to screw that up. So, so the answer to the question is, you know, where's this going? What are we going to do? I think you're going to see, uh, if they get a new farm bill done, it's going to be minimal change from what we're currently dealing with, in my opinion. I don't think there are going to be a whole lot of changes anyplace. And frankly, if they don't get a farm bill done, it's not the end of the world. Because if they don't get a farm bill, they can extend the current law for five years and it doesn't cost them any money at all. And they could do that with just a stroke of the pen.
0: And you know, just to clarify, it doesn't cost them any money beyond what they're spending right now. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the budget situation, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that may be what the outcome. That could very well be the outcome.
0: Colin, thanks so much because that is the best explanation of why people say, well, why would they extend it? People have no idea that if they don't extend it, the old law becomes the fact that if you want to see money spent, that's where you're going to see money spent. So I want to kind of put a a final point, and maybe it's someplace between Joel and Colin. I think it's, and it's not just about corporate farming, it's about land ownership. You know, this, this idea, you know, when we used to drive around the country, we'd say, well, that's Lingen's quarter and that's Crump's quarter and that's Krause's corner quarter, quarter, right? I mean, we kind of knew who owned the land, we knew who was farming the land. And when we get four or five generations away from the farm, we which, you know, right now we're two, two, three generations away from the farm. The people own the land, they're disconnected from the kind of challenges that you have in agriculture. And they they look at this the way you would look at an apartment building, right? Where we look at the land as as part of the culture of rural America. We look at the land as as a critical component of the fabric in the culture of rural America. It's it this land ownership issue and trying to figure out how we are going to keep people invested in building out and and politically invested in helping farmers is is I think going to be a challenge. As the population of rural America continues to decline, which it is, it's already older, sicker than the rest of the country, right? As the population declines, the political viability of these programs also declines. And that's why it's so critically important that we look at the entire fabric of rural America, not just what's happening in farm country. But what does that mean for the schools? What does it mean for the churches? What does it mean for the the hospitals and rural health care? And so when we extend what we already have, I think to Joel's point, Colin, you're basically buying the same kind of trend line that we're seeing right now. And you both agree it's going to be bigger farms, which means fewer people, um, more automation, Joel. That's how they're going to solve the problem of workforce, right? Mm-hmm. More automation. And I think we ought to have at least one discussion of at the end of 20 years, what do we want rural America to be? And I don't think we have that discussion because we're too busy trying to protect what's going to happen next year. So that's my preaching point.
2: And I, I don't think anybody can predict what's going to happen in 20 years anyway, you know?
1: Well, I'm going to be well, retired. How smart I'll tell you that. that.
2: Not how smart <laughs> you
1: are. <laughs>
0: Well, I I think
1: you might, you might not be able to, you might, you might have to keep I'm going to get Sue working. (laughs) I mean, she's going to be working. I'm just not going to be. Yeah. At Big Iron this year, Colin knows this. They had a self-propelled combine out there running all on its own. You know, it's, it's, it's it's what it's going to be. That's for sure.
0: Well, and that's my point. My point is it not a Luddite. I I mean, I am not somebody who wants to throw a shoe in the cog, not a saboteur, uh, you know, but I do think that, whatever direction we had in rural America should be purposeful. But, but when you say you can't predict it, what I would tell you, Colin is you could look at trend lines and, and think about how stable those trend lines have been over a period of time from the 1950s down and that the trend lines are not good for rural America.
1: No, you're right. Well, and one last thing you guys and I, I, you know, simple, yes or no is everything we Discussed here today, knowing the circumstances, knowing the bill, everything, is everything we discussed here today going to get more Democrats elected in the middle of this country? No, Heidi. No, there. No.
2: In, in fact, if the Democrats uh, help to do what's right, they will elect more Republicans. That's been my point. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a, it's a hell of a note.
0: <laughs> Well, thanks, Colin, for joining us. Okay, well, thank you guys. Okay, right. thanks, Joel. Thanks so much for listening. And I know we got a little wonky with the acronyms, and, but that's Farm bill talk. But let me tell you, I think that this is a critical issue that we hear about all the time in rural America. It's the premier piece of legislation that that reflects the values and the culture and the economic necessity of rural America. And I think it's it's uh, it's something that we all need to understand because not only is it important to rural America, but it's important to urban America when we look at food security, uh, both in terms of having an adequate production, but also in terms of being able to afford it when you go to the grocery store, which is getting tougher. Joel, you have any closing comments?
1: No, uh, it felt a lot like at times during the show, I realized folks that we were in the FDR administration, a lot of letters out there versus explaining what they were, uh, but but the farm bill's complicated, I get it, I understand it. In the end, we didn't talk a lot about the politics of it, but what we did talk about was the mechanics, and that's what Colin Peterson has been great at for years. But it was fun, and I think they're, they're both right to take the high ground. For me personally, I think every now and then you gotta take the gloves off and mix it up a little bit. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Joel.
1: You bet.